Man, what a way to start service, right? Y'all better not tell me nothing about my son, man. I I'm, I'm feel bulletproof right now. Um, I've been coaching football all week. I had some coffee this morning. Colton just got baptized. Ooh. I'll bring it down for y'all. Um, oh, man, I forgot to, to speak to you. Orale, mi gente, gente de Dios, right? We got to do that every time, me and Eric. Um, I used all my good Mexican jokes about my dad last time I was up here. So, we, <laughs> hey, we did tease him about it. So I sent the link to our family. We got a family chat with my sisters on it, my dad and uh, my parents. And they, um, my dad tried to claim, he's like, man, I don't do that. I'm not like that. And it was literally an avalanche of, yes, you do. Here are pictures of you doing that. Here's videos of you doing that. That's who you are. Don't try to deny it. Um, but I'm not 50 yet, so no, no tears. Um, Speaking of coaching football, like, it was really, I have been doing that all week. Our season started Monday. And, uh, man, it's intense. Like, I, I know it's nine- and ten-year-old football, so you think, that's kind of crazy for you to be intense and dedicate that much time and effort and, and be crazy. And that's just because you don't have a kid in nine- and ten-year-old football, and you don't know how insane it is. It might as well be the SEC. Plus, we live in Tennessee. That's the southeast. Like, people are insane. Like, they treat it like college games. So I've, you've got to do a good job. There's high accountability with the parents. You have to do a good job uh, with evaluation week, which is what this week was, and just getting the kids sorted out, having them in the right position as far as skill, size, ability, because uh, football's a dangerous game. It's the reason we wear helmets and all, all those pads. And so I'm just grinding it out, man, uh, spending so much time on, on who are the kids and where do they go and, uh, and how does everything work out. And what does this kid look like, and how much does he weigh? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm uh, teaching Sunday. Like, I got I to gotta make sure I dedicate some time to that. So, you know, that was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And uh, Thursday comes around, and I feel like he's got this big mirror. He's like, hey, man, remember me? You were uh, supposed to talk about me on Sunday. You hadn't been, uh, you hadn't been working on that. You want to you wanna work on that? And I was like, man, what a... What a big mirror to hold up in front of my face to remind me what's most important, who is most important, um, and just how this whole thing is supposed to go, that um, football, coaching, teaching, dance instructor, whatever it is that you do, um, those are neither good nor bad. They're just things, right? They're, they're jobs, they're titles, they're whatever. But if they become your reason for getting up in the morning, if they become your agenda for the day, when they become the most important thing in your life, the priority, now you're in trouble. Uh, we're going to see that a little bit today. Uh, you are a Christian first. You are a son or a daughter of the king first. And then all of those other things, football, whatever it is, that's for me. That's, I love it. Like I'm trying to figure out how to quit my job so I can coach full time. Um, if you're a Christian first, then that just becomes a tool that you use to teach people about Jesus, to, to spread the good word, to say who he is and what he's done and how he's impacted your life. And it is discipleship. Like, discipleship doesn't always look like sitting down at a table and reading through this thing. That is really good, and we should do that. But discipleship is the day-to-day -day grind, the things that you do in your life. I mean, Paul is discipling people by, while he's building tents. We don't separate the two. 
Once you're a Christian, it's your whole life. So when Jesus is the priority, then those things become tools in your life to teach about who he is and what he's done and how he's done it and how good he is. And so for me, it was a good reminder uh, that sometimes we can get our priorities out of line. Now, I'm, I'm here to tell you I'm a Christian. I know where I'm going when I, uh, I'm not staying in the ground, baby. I'm, I'm on my way to heaven. I know that that is true for me. I know who Jesus is. I know that he's rescued me. But it doesn't mean we don't flicker between what's most important in our lives. You know, and so just for me, it was a good reminder. And maybe for you too, sometimes in life, you get a little bit sideways um, with what's most important and what you're supposed to be doing because um, a, a human life is, is just a, a flicker, right? You might, you maybe you get 70 or 100 years out of this thing, uh, and then eternity, like a human life doesn't even show up on the radar percentage-wise as far as how long eternity is going to be. So when we live our lives for him down here and use those other things as tools to tell and to teach about him, and now everybody's rejoicing. Every single one of those babies that were, were baptized today the angels rejoiced and the demons shuddered. There's nothing, you, you can't take them out of his hand. They're there forever. And that's a beautiful thing. So we're going to talk, we got John 12 uh, today. We're going to uh, talk through that, teach through that. You guys got some responsibility. I already told you I was slacking this week. So I'm going to need some good truths about God. Uh, and, and we're going to see what, what he may reveal to us. I have some neat things that he showed me uh, that may be helpful to you. So let's pray and we're going to get to work. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. Thank you for uh, just the, the symbolism of new life with these babies, the work that you've done in their lives. Um, thank you for, for just what baptism represents, that you have changed their hearts, that you have rescued them, and that, that we can celebrate a new life, a new beginning, uh, just from this moment for them forward and then, and then for everybody who's been through that can, can reminisce and say, man, he did that for me too. Uh, and for those who, who, you've not yet, who have not yet responded to you, uh, Father, we ask that you would just work in their hearts uh, and that they might respond to you. For our teaching today, uh, let your truth be revealed. More than anything, we want to hear from you. We want to hear the gospel. We want to hear your truth, what you have to say to us. Uh, and we ask that in the same way, that you radically change these babies' lives, um, we want you to change ours. We know that we need, to, we need to turn to you and trust you every single day, every single moment that you're, you are our breath, you are our life, like the song says. Father, uh, we love you. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. All right, let's get to work. I got some pointers from Andy last time. He said I wasn't scrolling well enough. See, I'm already messed up. Um, so we're going to read, if you want to follow along, I'm in ESV, John 12, uh, 1 through 8. Uh, John writes, six days before the Passover, Jesus came, therefore, to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him. There, Martha served, and Lazarus was the one reclining, one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who he was, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this anointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag... He used to help himself to what was put into it. 
Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. And that's the word of the Lord. Short passage, a lot and a lot, a lot, a lot of truth. I'm going to let you go first because um, y'all know who I am, man. I, I can give you 10,000 words in about five minutes. So what truths about God do you all hear from that passage? God has power over death. You talking about Lazarus? Yeah, Lazarus, for sure, raised him alive. Why? And I've kind of pondered, we're going to get to it in a minute, but why even mention Lazarus, right? And I think for that point, like God has power over death. Just want to remind you uh, that the king can bring you back to life. And I also saw... Um, with Mary, that God has power over spiritual death. Like, she wasn't in the ground or in the tomb, but he brought her back to life. So, twofold death, spiritual and physical. Thank you. Yes. What else? Jesus is the best Say that one more time. Jesus is best okay. Jesus invests in his miracles. Talk to me about that. Yeah, and um, in three, where, or, you know, or, or one of three, where he actually sat down with Lazarus after he raised him from the dead. Yeah, he's hanging out with him, right? He's hanging out with him. He's not just doing it for entertainment value or anything like that. He wants to invest in that miracle. So uh, what Eric is saying is Jesus wants to invest in his miracle that he didn't just say, boom, back to life. All right, see you, kid, that he's hanging out with him, that he's having dinner with him, that he wants a personal relationship. So I think it's okay to say Jesus wants a personal relationship. And notice, Jesus had a personal relationship. He was friends with Lazarus before he died, right? The, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right? He, he, he said his homeboy is, is dead, right? His buddy, the guy that he was hanging out with, is dead, and, and, and he's sad about it. So he was obviously friends with him before that. He hung out. Then he performs a miracle, Right? And then he hangs out with him again. Jesus is not a one-time guy. He, he wants a personal relationship with you. He doesn't just willy-nilly do miracles. Like Jesus comes in here and he's like, hey, I want a personal relationship with you. And then he proves to you, like, hey, I'll save your life. I will raise you from the dead. And I still want to hang out with you. So before and after Jesus' miracles, he wants a personal relationship with you. What do you have? Uh, Jesus is worthy of the best that we have. Okay. Jesus is worthy of the best we have. Dig down on that for me. Well, just our, our time, our money, our valuables. Mary uh, she had taken something that was considered of great value, very rare, and she committed that valuable, rare thing to Jesus in a way that a lot of others may have looked down upon and said that that was not the right use. value in bestowing that upon Jesus, showing 
Yeah, so Jesus is worth the best of our time, our money, what our heart has to offer. He's worth everything that we have that we should give it to him, regardless of what he's saying is what anybody else has to say about it. So uh, Mary does this, this thing where she breaks open. Uh, and in that time, once you broke these open, they didn't go back. So once it, it was worthless afterwards, right? You, you break open uh, the, the ointment and you can't put it back in. Like it is what it is at that point. Um, so she pours this out all over uh, Jesus. And it's, her, it's probably her most valuable thing that she has in her life. And so she pours it out all over his feet, his feet. And then she wipes her hair all over it. And Judas is like, man, we sure could have fed some poor people with that. What y'all doing? And if you look, if you're willing to see it, like this is a, a heart issue. Like you have whatever resources that you have. And I want to dig down on that in a second. Um, but do you spend them to look good externally? Hey, man, let's go feed these poor people. We'll, get, uh, uh, we'll, we'll tell our friends on Facebook, hey, this is what we're doing later. Uh, y'all come out, or maybe we'll wait because we don't want them there to participate, so then they can take credit too. So we'll go ahead and do it. Then we'll put it on Facebook, and we'll tell everybody, look at what good Christians we are. Look what we did with all our resources, with, 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 with this money. Look how many poor people we fed. All right, and Jesus is saying, I'm out on that. Like, I, don't, I, I don't want that. Feed the poor, yes, that's a good thing. You should do that, right? But what he's saying is, I want your heart. I want your heart. I want you to give your resources to me and then let me do what I want to do with them. Not for your glory, but for whose glory? My glory. Because you're not the one that did it anyway. How do you think you got your resources? I don't know why he chose to make, to make me in, in 1980 instead of 1580. I don't know. But it's a heck of a lot better resource-wise to be born in 1980, right? I'm not worried about food. What if you was born in 780? Man, you might, we'd all be skinny scrawny. There wasn't no big people ro- roaming around, right? It was hard to find food, right? Resources are good. Uh, and, and again, why am I born, instead of being born in like uh, the African bush, uh, even if it was 1980, right? Instead of being born there, why was I born in California? One of the richest states in the world. Why? I don't know. Who gave you those resources? Whose are they then if he gave them to you? Right? When you start to grip things like this or try to do things for your own glory, for your own credit, that's not what he's calling you to do. And he says, whether in pretense or in truth, praise God that Christ is preached. You know, and this is, a, this is one of those things, like Romans 8, one of my favorite, Andy, years ago, baptized me. Um, and he was teaching through Romans at the time, and Romans 8 is, man, it just grab a hold of your soul. Uh, and one of the things that I love that it says, it says, um, hey, no matter what's going on, no matter what you've done, uh, no matter what anybody else has done, I'm working out all things for the good of those called according to my purpose. All things. And that's bad things that you have done, good things that you have done, bad things that other people have done, good things that, that, that other people have done. And he says, hey, I'm working that out. I'm working it out for the good of those called according to my purpose. So, so it's his glory, right? And so if somebody is out here doing bad things or doing good things for the, for the wrong reason, he's still using it. He, he's not a wasteful God. He put the blades of glass or grass where they belong. Right? He made you when he made you. You think he's going to waste that? 
No, he'll feed the poor with your, with your bad heart. And hopefully one day you'll respond to him. But it's, it's always about the heart. It's always about the internal. Baptism, it's always about the internal. You can go swimming as much as you want, and it'll never save you. Ever. But you can respond to Jesus, and that's it forever. Like Once he's in, he's in. Once he's got a hold of you, once that, that old has died, that's it. He's got you. And then those things start to change. Like we said, good deeds will become more and more common in your life for the right reasons. Then we can call them good. What else y'all got? So our past is not a hindrance. Yeah, I agree. Let's say it about Jesus. Jesus. Uh, Jesus does not withhold. I don't know if there's two H's. You're getting one. His love. Based on your past. Yeah, so let's talk about Mary. Jesus does not withhold his love based on your past. Uh, what Melissa said is that, that it's not a hindrance to your relationship with Jesus. Your past is not a hindrance. He's, he's not holding it against you. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody doesn't have to pay the price for all the bad stuff you've done. It just means that he's willing to do it. Now, don't you think about it for a second, man. This is the king of the universe. He's got everything. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants you so much that the eternal wrath of God, like eternal punishment, that's what we deserve, did not deter him from coming to rescue you. Now think about that for a second. When we get wealthy, when we have everything, we're like, man, I'll donate some money to that. Whew, yeah, I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going in there. That's rough. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go down and slum it with them. I'm not going to go live like them. I mean, think if you had to go live, if you had to go be homeless and don't know where your next meal is coming from, and, and, and you did, I don't even know where my next shower is coming from, right? That's not even a tidbit of what he did for us. Because you're not the king of the universe. You don't have all the infinite glory and power that he has. But he came down and he said, oh man, no way for you to make yourself right with God. I'll do it. He took that for you, knowing what you did. And let's talk about Mary it's not explicitly stated in Scripture, uh, but we think she was a prostitute or lustful. Uh, some people say that she was the one who Jesus cast the uh, demons out of. Um, it's not explicitly stated about her because her life is not about her, right? We just think that from church history. We think we know those things. Her life is about Jesus. And so she spends her life looking for Physical acceptance, emotional acceptance from men based on a sexual relationship. She's giving herself away trying to get full, right? And sometimes she's getting paid for it, maybe all the time. And so now I'm financially trying to get right with God or trying to get right with myself. I'm trying to fill myself up, right? So I'm hoarding love from men, very shallow love from other men to make me feel important I'm hoarding money to make myself feel important, to feel valuable, to, for my self-worth, to feel good about me. 
but she can't do it. None of that stuff will ever do it. If he makes it to be an NFL quarterback, it won't do it for him. He'll have lots of fans. He'll get a, a, a trading card. You know, people talk about him on SportsCenter. Probably have a lot of money. None of that will do it. Whatever your job is, it won't do it. Whatever your relationships are, it won't do it. Even your spouse. And that's the closest. And he says that's supposed to be a picture of my relationship with the church. But your spouse can't do it for you. If you're looking for your spouse to be your perfect savior, fulfillment of all things only Jesus can give you, you're no different than Mary. If you're looking for that from your job, you're no different than Mary. Right? So what did she do? She came and said, here's all of my stuff that I've tried to fill myself up with, to make myself right, to be valuable. And I've come to a place where I think it's worthless, where I've realized it's not going to do the trick. Right? And she put them on Jesus. Like the oil is a representation of all of the stuff that we just talked about that she went through that she did. Right? And the Bible says, cast your anxieties on the Lord, for he cares for you. What do you think all that stuff was, anxiety? I'm not valuable. I'm not worth it. I'm not good enough. So I'm going to go do these things with these guys, get this money. Doesn't work. It's anxiety. All right, Jesus, I'm going to give all this to you. I'm going to give all this to you. And what does he say? She got to the end of herself. Leave, come on, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Leave her alone. She came to me. Who's it about? She's going to keep it for what? The day of my burial. He knows he's going in the ground. He's told them, but they don't know it. They don't believe it yet. Leave her alone. She's mine. She came to the end of herself. She said, this stuff won't fix me, only you can take it. It's the most valuable thing. You can feed a whole bunch of poor people with this. You can, you can do whatever you want with it, but it's yours. Here's my nothing. It didn't work out for me. Maybe you can use it. If we don't get to that place, did you ever really encounter Jesus? Do you know him? We got to get there, man. We got to get there, guys. Because that's the only way you see. And it's sneaky because you can get there and you can repent and you can be like, Jesus, save me. Oh, my gosh, all this stuff is going on. And I've just been, oh, bad and I'm terrible and, and rescue me. I'm a, I'm a sinner. And he's like, I got you. And he does. And then we start feeling good. And we go right back to the way we were before. A dog will return to his vomit. You need him all the time. You need to say, hey, I asked you to fix my heart, and you did, and thank you. It's still not great. Will you continue to do that? That's why baptism is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning. It signifies new life. What do you do with a newborn infant? You say, hey, you're born. Good job. Welcome to the human race. No. You'd be in jail if you did that. You say, hey, let me feed you. Let me teach you. Here, you need spiritual milk right now. All right, here's some, here's some of that. I don't even know what they put in that stuff, the little rice food or whatever you mix with their formula. 
I hear some of this. It's a solid food, kind of. You know, when, when do we get the spiritual steak? I don't know. It depends on how much spiritual milk and whatever that rice oatmeal mix stuff is, spiritual stuff that you give them, right? Like you gotta, you gotta keep going. It's the beginning, not the end. It's a lifetime thing. And if you don't realize that about yourself as much as you would a brand new Christian, then you need to look in the mirror. And you need to say, no, I need Jesus all the time. He's the only one who can fix me. He's the only one that can do this work in me. All right, I'm going to keep going. Y'all go. Ladies first, yeah. Okay, Jesus was measured and intentional. Talk to me. Yeah, so Adrian's basically saying that Jesus is measured and intentional. Like, he could have put Judas on blast and been like, wait a minute, homeboy. Like, you got X, Y, and Z going on. You're about to do this. You did all that stuff. Blah, 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 blah. And just, like, eviscerated him right there. And he would have been right to do so. It would have been fine. But Jesus, knowing that this isn't about Judas that what Mary's doing is not about Judas, doesn't allow Judas to make it about Judas or money. It's about Jesus, right? And so here's the thing. Mike, your money is about Jesus. Your pure nard ointment, whatever that stuff is, is about Jesus, right? Your bad intentions, your bad heart, your manipulative tone, is about Jesus, right? You see it in a negative light. What am I missing here? It's still about Jesus. That's your whole life. That's what we're talking about. That's what I was talking about with football. Like, your football is about Jesus. Your job is about Jesus. Everything is Jesus, then the rest of that stuff. And they're just tools. And so Jesus, you're not going to beat him in a conversation, man. We're talking about the king of the universe, like, you try to make something about you, and he's like, no, no, it's not about you. I mean, think back to Moses. Moses is like, hey, man, I can't do this. I will be with you. He doesn't talk about Moses. No, because it's not about Moses. It's not about Abraham. It's not about any of those guys in the Old Testament, any of the guys in the New Testament except one. It's about Jesus. It's about God. It's about his spirit. John, you had something? Okay. John says true worship is sacrificial and looks irrational. Um, we've said a lot. I've heard Andy say it a bunch of times. I know Darren said it like, the gospel turns everything upside down, which is the right way to say it as far as our eyes are concerned. But what's really going on is the whole world is upside down and the gospel is right. So when you get those little tidbits, when he's revealed to you, 
what it looks like to trust him and, and to follow him and what the gospel really is, it looks upside down. It looks irrational. It looks crazy. Like, why would anybody do that? Think about that. I mean, we're talking about what Mary did here, right? So she walks in with this expensive perfume. And I don't know, ladies, if y'all take a class on her, is what y'all are doing, like going to the, every time you go to the bathroom, it's like 70 y'all go together or whatever that is. And you talk about, hey, this is what we're going to do. But like sixth, seventh, eighth grade, sometimes like girls, all of a sudden, y'all just smell good, right? And so everywhere you are, we're like, and it works. We notice it. We're like, oh, man, you know, she wears this and she wears that. And so, like, that's what she's got, right? She's got this, man, I'm, yeah, I'm, I smell good. And that's what that's for, to, hey, let me do this. Maybe I'll get those guys to pay attention to me. Why would you put that on somebody's feet? I mean, back then, I guess it's just nasty feet. Um, but why? In the middle of a dinner party and then take your hair and wipe their feet? Well, what is that? But she had come to the end of herself and she said, this is all I've got. All I've got is to lay down at your feet and say, I've got nothing and cry and just, I mean, didn't you say she says anything. There's no words. She's just, Jesus, I got nothing. I got nothing. All this stuff I've ever tried to do to make myself feel valuable, I can't do it, and I've heard you talk, and I saw what you did to Lazarus, and can you fix me? Will you fix me too? Doesn't even have the the energy or power to muster, can you fix me? Can you save me? Just, I'm going to wash your feet. Here's let me dry your feet off with my hair. And he does. There's no, we have a thing that we say in baptism, and it's, I don't know if it's been the same for the last 2,000 years or 500 years since Reformation. I have no idea. The rituals don't save you. You don't need words for God to save you. You need a, a busted up, broken heart that says, I can't fix me. None of my stuff can fix me. My friends can't fix me. My job can't fix me. You're the only one that can fix me. And he does. That's all he wants from you. is for you to come and say, I can't, will you? However that, however that manifests in your life. And he does it. He does it every time. How long did you go last week? About 12, 15? I know I was thinking, like, I'm going to get into my stuff. I'm going to give you all a couple more. I'm going to keep you all here till John's trying to have softball practice today. I'm trying to go longer than that. I'm just kidding. What else you guys have? Anything else? Ooh. Adam says, the purpose of everything is to glorify God. Yeah, we could even say Jesus even coming here is to glorify God, right? 
everything, everything in this story, if you're willing to see it, is about glorifying God. Everything in this book, if you're willing to see it, is to glorify God. You know, we talked about David and Goliath a couple weeks ago. The story is not about David. It's not about Goliath. It's about God. If you're willing to see it, everything in, in the Bible is about God. And if you're willing to see it, these are historical events, right? This stuff really happened, right? If you're willing to see it, that's true of your whole life too. Not just what's written in this book. Oh man, it's 2,000 years old, still true today. You know, we love saying stuff like that. Your life could have been written into these pages. John is just writing about what's going on under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But he's just, he's, this is just, hey man, this is, we were hanging out and uh, Lazarus was there and, uh, you know, Mary was there and this is what she did. Y'all have had dinners, maybe where nobody poured out you know, expensive ointment on somebody's feet and dried it with their hair. But y'all have had dinners. Are your dinners about Jesus? Yes, they are, if you're willing to see it. And if you trust him, you got to lay down whatever that other agenda is and say, yeah, this Jesus is my agenda. Jesus is my agenda. All right, is that it? Y'all were kind of late on that last one. All right. That's, um, I'm not going to be too long, actually. I saw, um, I see three different types of characters. We've talked about some of this. will be a recap. Three different uh, people that encounter Jesus in this story. Uh, and then, of course, there's the man, Jesus, in this story. So it's kind of your four characters. So what's true of, of Lazarus? Lazarus had his life radically changed by Jesus. Think about it. This dude is Jesus' friend. They're hanging out, gets sick, dies. Jesus is out of town. Um, you know, he's in the tomb a couple of days, and, and the sisters are like, hey, don't open it. It stinks. We'll be embarrassed. Like, he's dead. He's dead, dead. And it's like, it's going to be nasty in there. And what does Jesus say? He's like, hey, go get some of that ointment. Uh, we don't want it to stink. Uh, somebody go get some bandages. Come, somebody go, do we, uh, any paramedics? We didn't have ambulances back then, whatever that, that, that. No. You know what he says? Lazarus, come forth. We're talking about the God of the universe who commands things into existence just by saying them. New life. Come on. Get up. And he does it. I mean, can you imagine being at that party and how freaky that would be? Like zombie guy coming out. I don't know if they had zombie stuff back then or not. They thought that was a thing. But, I mean, you're freaking out, right? Because you know he was dead radically changed physically dead to physically alive radical change and how did Lazarus do and I, we don't have it's not recorded again because it's not about Lazarus but you have to imagine every time Lazarus is hanging out he's with his buddies they're watching whatever they played back then you know football they building tents work fishing ships whatever Lazarus was into Man, did I ever tell you about the time that I was dead? Like, I was in a tomb, man, for like three, four days, man. And Jesus came, and I just heard him call. And I got up and like, yeah, bro, you told us, man. Like, you always tell us. That's, you won't ever stop talking about it. Like, you tell everybody that story. And everywhere he goes, right, every stinking place that he goes, he is a living, walking testament to what Jesus has done in his life. And, he, and you're not going to not tell that story, Right? Lazarus is somebody 
who came to Jesus, somebody who knew Jesus, who died, and then he couldn't come to Jesus. He was dead. He was in a tomb. He couldn't come and say, hey, fix me. I'm dead. My heart stopped beating. I'm dead. Couldn't come to Jesus. What did Jesus do? Came to him. And he rescued him. He raised him to life. Now, that's true with some of y'all. Not physically dead. But some of you are like, I just don't feel like I have the energy. I can't do it. I've been through too much. I can't. He's like, don't worry, I did. And when uh, we were walking up, Colton was a little nervous. Me too, a little bit. Um, we always teach him in sports, like, hey, nervousness and excitement are the exact same chemical response in your body. Body reacts exactly the same way to the two, so you decide which one it is. And so uh, I'm talking to him about that, and I say, hey, you remember championship game last year? Um, were you nervous before that game? He said, oh, yeah. I said, what happened in that game? Oh, we won. I said, okay, well, let me tell you about this championship game. 2,000 years ago, we won. Like, it's good. We're good. Don't be nervous. This is a good thing. Right? And that's true. But, I mean, Lazarus was dead for a few days, man. Have any of y'all been dead for a few days? And he went and got him. Mary. I told y'all it's not explicitly stated in Scripture, but we're pretty sure she was a little frivolous with her. She was not prudish. How about that? Um, she spent her entire life looking for physical, emotional, financial maybe, acceptance. And none of it worked out. And what happened to her? She had her life radically changed by Jesus Right? And, and she's kind of in between. Lazarus is a physical picture. Uh, Mary, in God's grace, he gives us both in eight verses, uh, is, is a spiritual picture. She wasn't dead externally. She may have even looked good. I mean, if she smelled good, looked good, had some money, like, hey, that's desirable. I want to hang out with her. She was dead in here. And that's some of y'all, too. Some of y'all are feeling dead inside. And maybe if it's not you, it's people you know. Don't have to be in the church or not in the church to be dead inside. Either one works. Right? And so if that's you, be encouraged. She didn't even have anything to say to Jesus. She just brought him her nothing. She said, all the stuff that I've tried to fix myself with didn't work. Will you take it? I mean, think about what it says. Come to me, all you who are, who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. That's what she's doing here. She says, I can't anymore. I'm done. And he says, I got you. Had her life radically changed by Jesus. Judas. Think about this guy, man. You want to talk about pedigree. Apostle. Look good on the outside. This is the dude who's responsible for dishing out money to the poor. So every time we, we went to feed somebody, we went to hang out, we went to do anything with the apostle's money, Judas was on front street. He was the guy right here like, hey, yeah, have some bread. We got the bread. And he looked good, man. Everybody was probably like, man, that Judas, he's always giving money to the poor. He's doing this. He's doing that. 
You know, he's, he's, Jesus, he's Jesus' road dog, man. That's his buddy. You know, we like the way Jesus teaches. Like Judas, number one. Judas is somebody, so are you, so is everybody you've ever met, who Jesus called. And called Judas in a little bit different way than some of the other people, or you and me. He called Judas to be an apostle, but he also called Judas to be in heaven with him for eternity. He said, come to me, Judas. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Like, you can, get to me, you can get to the Father through me. I'm the only way, though. Judas went through the motions. Externally, he did everything Jesus called him to do. But whose agenda was he serving? His agenda, right? I'll take, he did, says in here that he stole money. He had charge of the money bag, and he used to help himself uh, to what was put in it. That's verse 6. He served his own agenda, not Jesus' agenda, not God's agenda. He served his agenda. So who was Judas God? Himself. And I mean, I can't think about this. I cannot imagine myself doing it. Like, you sold out the Savior of the universe for some pieces of silver? I can't imagine. Can any of you, like, knowing what we know about Jesus right now, like, man, I would never do that. Golly. Can you imagine this dude doing that? Can you imagine yourself doing that? I'm going to tell you right now, you are fully capable of doing that. So am I. You are 100% that guy. You absolutely are, are capable of doing that apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we're all Judas. And the thing is, just like the other two, Judas had his life radically changed by Jesus. But the other two responded to Jesus, and Judas didn't. So, you know, just like Paul writes, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That day is coming. Every single person that's ever walked this earth will have their life radically changed by Jesus. The gospel does not allow you not to respond. You can't sit here and say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. You know, he was a good man, but I just, I'm not sure. That's hard to believe. Yeah, it's hard to believe. It takes a supernatural being called the Holy Spirit to bring your tale to life so you can believe it. Yes, it's hard to believe. That doesn't make it not true. It's not your truth that sets you free. It's the truth, Jesus' truth, Jesus, the truth that sets you free. That's the only way you get there. So we talked about these knuckleheads. Let's talk about Jesus. Like I said, he forces us to make a decision about him. There's, no, there's a line in the sand. You're with me or you're against me. We talked about this. He does things nobody else can do. He raised the, the dead to life. Who can do that? I'm not Audra. I know you're a nurse. You just, and people come back to life, but not really. Not after four days, right? Have you ever seen that in the medical field? Four days dead? And no. Yeah. Um, he hangs out with sinners. He doesn't run from sinners. He hangs out with them. In Lazarus' case, he runs to them. And when you come to him, he doesn't care what you look like. He doesn't care what you've been through. And this is what Melissa's saying. 
He, he doesn't care all the bad things that you've done. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to fix them. We're going to talk about them. There is accountability. But you're not out. You know, the unforgivable sin, the, the way the Bible teaches it, the unforgivable unfor- sin is that you would reject the Holy Spirit. Right? And so I was like, aha! See, I knew you didn't forgive everything. I knew you didn't forgive everybody. See, there's the one thing. Well, here's the deal with the one thing. It's God saying, I will rescue you. I will save you. Let me do it. And she's saying, nah, I got it. The one thing that'll save you, you're rejecting the medicine. And he says, anything else, I got it. Anything else, I got it. So the only reason it's unforgivable is because the very thing that would save you, Jesus, is the thing that you reject. And free will, man, it's a heck of a thing. Like, you get to choose. How are you going to respond to him? Um, Jesus does things that nobody else is willing to do. Yeah, I don't know how old Mary was, but just thinking in terms of women that live like she did, if you live long enough, that stuff doesn't work anymore, right? Like her lifestyle is not, not going to work anymore. You're not really lovable at that point. The one thing that you've dedicated your life to is no longer valuable. People don't want that anymore. There's not a, there's not a market for like a 78-year-old prostitute. So what are you going to do? She wasn't 78. I'm just saying, thinking in terms of what ifs. Jesus will accept people nobody else will accept. He loves you when you're not lovable. That's the gospel. The people that hated me, that persecuted me, that fought against me, that cursed my name, yeah, I'll take them. I'm good with them. I want them on my team. Encountering Jesus radically changes your life. We talked about that. Lazarus from dead to alive. Mary from a prostitute to a saint. I call her a saint because if Jesus rescues you, you are now part of the saints. You, you're going to go marching in, baby. You're in heaven. Saint now, saint later, saint forever. Judas went from an apostle to a betrayer. That's a rough fall, baby. Uh, this is important. I love this part. So I think about the way that this thing is worded. Uh, Jesus gives us evidence to trust him. All right, so we got uh, Lazarus, whom Jesus raised from the dead. He's hanging out, right? And I, I sometimes wondered, why is Lazarus in this story? Like, why is, he, why is he here? What's the point? And I know there's no accidents with the Bible, but what's the point of Lazarus being in this story? Jesus gave Mary reason to trust him. There was evidence. He's given you evidence in your life to trust him. He's not asking you to say, hey, I know this stuff's really hard to believe. I'm sending you my spirit and you're going to understand all of it and everything's going to be good. Just trust me. This magic, I promise it works. No. In the Bible, historical fact, he's given you evidence. Well, yeah, that's 2000. It's been copied a bunch of times. I know the Dead Sea Scroll thing, but I'm not sure about all that stuff. Well, what about your own life? Has he not given you evidence? 
that he's real, that he loves you, that he trusts you. See, I think that's why Lazarus is mentioned in this story. I think that's why Lazarus is mentioned in this story before Mary. Because Jesus gives you evidence to trust him. Every single day, you just got to be willing to see it. See, if you're willing to see that your life is about Jesus and that everything's about Jesus and it's not about you and what you're going through and poor me, but this is about Jesus somehow, some way. I know you love me. Okay, I'll accept that truth and I'll, I'll, I'll look at the world through those eyes. That's all you'll see. That is all you will see. So he has given you evidence in your life. I don't know what it is, but you do if you're willing to see it, to trust him. Say, I'm here. I love you. You're never alone. Matter of fact, when you feel most alone, that's when you can see me best because I'm the only one there with you. And that's why when we, when we use the term rock bottom, man, you just got to get to rock bottom before you can see Jesus. I hate that term. You just got to come to the end of yourself. And you come to the end of yourself. Whatever level of depravity has been revealed to you for you to come to the end of yourself and say, hey, man, I am what the Bible says I am. I do need Jesus. You can call that rock bottom if you want to, but I'm going to tell you what, there's nothing on earth, nothing you'll experience on earth like hell. And I'm not talking about fire and brimstone, lake of fire where it's real hot in here or whatever, you know, kind of torture that you might imagine hell to be. Hell is separation from God. That's hell. And, and the Bible teaches this forever. That's rough. From the source of all life, nourishment, spiritual, like I don't know what we eat in heaven, but there's no food in hell. You're just always hungry, but you can't die because the source of life is not with you. And there's no getting back. The Bible teaches like, hey, yeah, we know they're over there, but we can't go get them. We talked about this. Jesus wants your heart and not your stuff. You think about this for a second. Now, I want you. <laughs> I'm, I, I gave so much money to the, to the church, um, and I want them to do this with it. Like, I hope that we can redo the children's wing or, man, this concrete is ugly. I want some carpet in here. I want it stained this way or whatever. Here's a bunch of money. Can y'all fix that? Is that benevolent? Is that you pouring your expensive ointment all over Jesus' feet? Or is that you buying something from the church? Either way it goes, you can give you know, $1,000 to the church or whatever. You can give $10,000, $10 million. It doesn't matter. Like, first of all, it wasn't yours. It was his. Second of all, once you give it away, if you really give it away, you get no say-so in what anybody does with it. You no longer have authority over that money and you no longer have authority what, with, over what that person that you never did, what that person might do with that. That is not what it means to give with your heart. What it means to give with your heart is, I know this is not mine, but he has blessed me so much that I'm not even going to use this stuff. Maybe you will. Maybe you need it for something else. That's giving with your heart. Not, not even given to you. Like, hey, Eric, you need some cash, man? Here you go. 
No, it's, it's saying, Jesus, what do you want me to do with this? Well, my boy Eric is on, uh, he's on hard times right now, and he's been praying to me, God, work out this financial situation. Why don't you go drop him, him a couple bucks? Like, that's what it means. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'm empty. And if you stand with your stuff like this and realize that it's not yours, oh, man, that's living. Oh, you'll see some blessings flow. You'll see lives changed. And you don't do it, but you get to see it front row. Jesus rejects Judas and accepts Mary. And this is dangerous for us. We've talked about it a little bit, but Judas wants to do something that we all think would be a good thing. And Jesus is like, I'm out on that. What I want is, is your heart. I want you to respond to me. I, I want forgiveness, the gospel. That's what I want. That's what I'm about. And if you look at who Mary is, somebody who has literally nothing to offer anybody, nothing to offer Jesus, he doesn't need anything from her. And he says, we're going to do what she's doing. Like, I want that, a contrite and broken heart, a broken spirit. Somebody who, who, who just lays it all down and says, hey, Jesus, you're my only hope. You're the only thing I got. Not the poor. The poor, you'll always have the poor with you. And I think that makes me think, and I don't think this is what Jesus is saying. Um, you know, because he knows he's going to die. He's, he's in on the plan, right? He knows he's going to die. He knows God's going to raise him. He knows uh, that they're going to send the Holy Spirit. So technically, Jesus is always with us, right? And again, this is not what the Bible's teaching. I think Jesus is talking about his death. Like, hey, about a week from now, I'm going to be dead and I'm not going to be here anymore. So hang out with the bridegroom and celebrate him while he's in town. Because uh, once I'm gone, I'm out. And so I think that's what he's talking about. But it also made me think, like, is that a warning to Judas? It makes sense to me that, that Jesus is like, hey, I'm here now, respond to me now. Because if you don't, I'm gone forever. You'll never have me again. That's a hard thing. And it's why we have to repent every day because... You could wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, I love you. Forgive me. Lead me today. Guide me today. I want to trust you today with all I got. And you're not going to make it to lunch, probably breakfast, before you turned your back on him, done some stupid stuff. Maybe not even externally, just like mad about something. Wrong kind of anger. And when you do that, when you do that, man, I'm, I don't I chased it all, all down. Uh, I've sinned a lot. I got a man, my register, he needs a big filing cabinet for me. Um, I've, I've tried a lot of sins, and um, I think they're always when I make my life about me, when I put myself before Jesus. I think that that is the root of, of sin. I want to be God. My life is about me. Man, why is there so much traffic? It's about who? Me. I'm going to be late. I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever. You know, this person wronged me. And maybe they did. But if you're mad and you want to exact revenge on them, who have you made that story about? Judas. Who have you made that story about? 
No, that story's about Jesus. Father, give me, give me peace. I don't know what that other person's going through. I don't know why they cut me off and gave me the middle finger and said some bad things to me. But will you be with them right now? Hey, I'm not telling you I do it. I'm just telling you if it's about Jesus, that's what you do. Right? All right. Give me a few more minutes. I got some neat stuff I want to talk to you about that I think I saw. Um, there, you mentioned it. There are different forms of currency. There are different types of currency we got here. Uh, financial currency, uh, relational currency, um, all different ways that we have money or resources, right? Uh, some that I looked through and thought through, uh, like I said, finance, relationships, time, your talent or ability, your appearance, the way you look, that's Mary, the way you smell, uh, your assets, your home, your car, uh, whatever you've got, your personality, like are you charismatic? Is that a tool that you use to get what you want? So if you think of it, it all in terms of, of a barter system, your accomplishments. Hey, I was, I did. I got a friend who, who won a stinking bronze medal in the Olympics, and that guy doesn't do this, but he could ride his whole life on that one winter, those winter games, and he could always be like, hey, I'm, I'm a bronze medalist and everything. He could introduce himself that way, you know, and that would be a form of currency, uh, notoriety, whatever you want to call it. Um, and how do you use those? How do we use those? And whatever they are, they're way more than that. There's just, you know, a few that I came up with. How do we use them? How do you use your financial resources? You know, what this passage is teaching us explicitly, uh, the contrast between Mary and Judas is that it's, it's with your heart, your money, your relationships, with your heart, they've got to be about Jesus. We've got to pour them out on Jesus. Like, he is that valuable. And he's the only one that can take your uh, life of promiscuity uh, and, and just trying to hoard things, your life of anxiety, like Mary, and say, I will redeem this. He's the only one that can do it. The gospel is the only thing that does that. I'll make, I'll make this a good thing. What we say, I'm working out all things for the good of those called according to his purposes. We got to tell that story. My buddy uh, went through some bad times uh, with his wife. He made some bad decisions. And uh, he sat, there's a story he told me, sit on the couch and wouldn't even eat chips because he felt like he didn't deserve the way they taste. Like, I'm not even worth that. I don't deserve to taste a good potato chip. That's the end of yourself. That's saying you got to fix this because I don't even want to eat. I don't feel like I deserve to eat. Here's the good news. You do deserve to eat. You do deserve to enjoy and experience good things. You have a Father in heaven who loves you, who, who rescued you, who wants to give you good gifts. He wants you. Like, that's good. Like, David, he went through all this stuff. Think about David's life. David, uh, uh, you know, he's this little punk kid brother, shepherd boy, hanging out in the fields. He's stinky sheep all the time, sheep all the time, doing stupid sheep tending stuff. And, and, and now he fights Goliath, and he, and he and beats him. God's with him, and he beats him. And then Saul's trying to kill him, and then he becomes king, and then he makes some real bad choices. 
He has one of his best friends, a guy that fought beside him and for him, not just beside him, but in front of him to protect David, has Uriah killed. Cheated on Uriah with, with, with Uriah's wife. You know, some bad stuff. And David writes in the Psalms, like he's been blessed so much. I mean, this dude went from sheep tender to king, right? I mean, just imagine living in a palace when everybody else is like homeless, right? You eat whatever you want. You're throwing away grapes and people are begging for bread, right? That's his life. And he says, God, I didn't deserve any of this. Thank you so much for this. Give me more. He says, I lift up the cup of salvation. Give me more. And God's like, yes, I'll do it. Not because I deserve it, but because you're my kid. Like, I don't deserve for him to give me anything. I've fought against him. I'm his enemy. But because of Jesus and the gospel, I'm his son. He's not going to withhold a, a good gift from you. He gave you Jesus. This is what else it teaches in Romans 8. He gave you Jesus. How is it that he would withhold anything else? All right, so then in terms of that, if you've got Jesus, what do you, what do you need money for? What do you need to hoard relational currency for? Why do you need to manipulate people and make, like, man, Eric's really smart. Oh, man, I'm going to try to go be friends with that guy. He's smart. He can probably get me in with the youth, and, and I was hoping some of those youth would come work at my restaurant or something, whatever it is. You know, I've got some agenda, Judas. Are your relationships about Jesus? Because then it looks different. Hey, Eric, man, uh, I've got Wednesday nights free. Uh, you need help in the youth? Still got a relationship with Eric. But it looks different. Jesus first. Time. How do you spend your time? I told you I spent a lot of time this week uh, prepping football. That can be a good thing. I got a big platform. It's, it's 96 kids in our age group. And I'm responsible for organizing all of that, telling them where to go, what to do, help sort them out, put them on teams. It's an important job, but it's not my primary job. I'm not flattering myself, but this is a way that he's rescued me. Like, you know what we do? After every practice, we're going to pray. I don't know what those 96 households look like. I don't know how many times those kids have heard the gospel. Boy, you're going to hear it today. I'm not a football first football coach. I'm a Jesus first. Why? Not because of me. Because I poured out my expensive ointment on Jesus' feet and said, hey, man, I got nothing. I could win a thousand games and it would never fill me up. Only you can. How do you spend your talent, your ability? Is that on Jesus? You know, some of you all are very smart, good with money, accountants, your nurses, some of you are teachers, coaches. How do you spend that talent? It's a resource. How do you spend it? Some of you are very attractive. By the world standards, you're very attractive. How do you do? Do you manipulate people? Because people gravitate to attractive people. What do you say when they do? Yeah, you know, I mean, I work out a lot. <sighs> no, it's not about you. What's your life about? Jesus, right? So if you have a chance to have a conversation with somebody that you otherwise wouldn't have had a conversation with, what's it going to be about? You got one chance to tell somebody something. They gravitate to you. They come up to you. What are you going to talk to them about? What's the most important thing? The only important thing, the only thing that matters that you could talk to them about? Jesus, the gospel. And they can call you, we said this earlier, Adrian, I think you said it. It looks ridiculous 
to live your life that way. But the, the world has such a grip on what it says your view should be that you let that, sometimes you let that inform you. Be weird, man. Be the guy that doesn't make any sense at all but lives in accordance to the Bible. Be the, be the girl who, who says, hey, this is who Jesus has called me to be. I don't care what, I don't even know the magazines because Jen doesn't get them, thankfully, like magazine says about me. Who cares? I don't care what Instagram says about you. That's not the authority. Jesus is the only one who can give you value. And what he said about you is you're made in my image. That I knit you together in your mother's womb. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I got plans for you. That's what he said about you. If, 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 if he's for you, who could stand against you? Uh, the one that I want to end on that really struck me, um, prayer. Prayer is a currency. Prayer is probably the most valuable currency. Think about this. You have access to, to all the resources that created the heavens and the earth, to, to the king that literally speaks and stuff happens. And he says, hey, what do you want? What do you need? Not like a genie. You know, not like oh, a new car. Okay. No, that's not what we're talking about. He says, hey, hey, give me your heart. Now let's talk through what, what we can do. What can we accomplish? God, open the eyes of my heart. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. Help me see how you see. Let me ask for the things that, that Jesus came to do on this earth. Will you, will you open people's eyes with the gospel? Will you give me gospel opportunities? Will you work? Hey, my buddy's having a hard day. You know, can you work in his life? Can you, can you give me a conversation? Can you reassure him? Can you, can you help him know that Jesus is the only thing that could fix him? Now, that's a prayer. Not my will, but thy will. Father, whatever you have for my life, like I'm standing right here with open hands, all I want to see is your name made famous, your glory. And whatever that looks like for you. And with your prayers, man, I'm guilty of this. Like, are you just going through the motions with Jesus like Judas? Like, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I, I got a group of guys uh, that I text uh, and say, I'm praying for you. And, like, that's a good thing. Probably look good. Maybe it encourages them. But occasionally, I'm just kind of mailing that thing in. Not because I want to, just because I'm a sinner. And I'm just, hey, this is what I do in the morning. This is my routine. This is my ritual. And again, routines, rituals are not necessarily bad. But when they become about, this is my routine, this is my ritual, it's pointless. It actually is not pointless. It works against you. Because then you become Judas. What are you talking about, man? I give money to the poor. We fed all those people. Hmm. It's an external work. If your heart's not in it, it's probably better that you don't do it. Don't go through the motions. Don't fake it with Jesus. Now, that's not to say consistency is more valuable than motivation. Right? Jesus, I don't feel like praying. Okay. You can talk to him about that stuff. If you weren't hanging out around town in the local bars doing what Mary did, he, he can hear that stuff. He didn't reject her. You know, he'll accept you. Be honest with him. 
Have y'all read the Psalms? You see the way these guys talk to Jesus? How they pray to God? They say, hey, man, you can't do that. <laughs> yes, you can, and he wants you to. He wants you to be honest with him. And, and, and from a worldly perspective, it's therapeutic. Well, you know, that's why we have psychiatrists. You go sit on a couch, and I can say anything I want, and they're sworn to secrecy. Oh, it makes me feel so much better. That's an imperfect, I'm not saying they're bad, but that's an imperfect human that is, is not going to give you salvation, is not going to give you the gospel, that can't change your heart that you would go spend your money on to, to feel better. And I'm not saying don't go to them. They're very helpful. It could be really good for you, and, and sometimes we need that kind of medicine in our life. But the only medicine that really fixes you comes from the king in heaven. And the only application of that medicine is the gospel. It's Jesus. So whatever you got going on, go to him with it. Prayer is, without a doubt, your most valuable form of currency, hands down. But don't just go through the motions. Give him your heart, not your words. He says to do it in private. I'm going to tell you one other thing about prayer, and then I'm, I'm done. When you pray, I want you to think about these people in this story. Lazarus, Lazarus is, is reclining at the table with Jesus. I envision that like I got my arm around Jesus and I'm like, hey man, and we're hanging out and that's my relationship with him and it's good. And sometimes we do that with Jesus is how we pray to him. He's, he is your friend, right? Sometimes, and I want you to think about the physical positioning of Mary. Sometimes you need to be on your knees, probably most of the time, on your knees, on your face, with your face at his feet. You got to think about how close you have to be to somebody's feet to put your hair on it. Judas. Hey! Well, how come we don't do this? You know, it, that gives me a picture of the, the Pharisee beating his chest on the steps. So, when you think about praying... I'm not telling you every single one of you has to get on your face. It would be good for you. But when we talk about praying, if your heart is in it, whose heart do you think was most in it? Lazarus, Mary, or Judas? Which one do you want to be? It's up to you. How are you going to spend your currency today, tomorrow, until he calls you home? None of you have promised tomorrow, me either. How are you going to spend it? Don't get to the end of your life on your deathbed. That's uh, a Wes Anderson quote, I love it. And <laughs> yeah, imagine you're on your deathbed and all the ghosts of your unfilled, unfulfilled potential are there with you saying, hey, you could have brought us to life. We were right there. You had a chance. You had a, a choice that you could have brought us to life. You could have had a conversation with that person and their life could have been different and Jesus could have used you to change their life. But now, because you didn't, we got to go to the grave with you. You never brought us to life. Take a chance. It's intimidating and it's hard. But take a chance. Have that conversation. Tell somebody that Jesus loves them.
even if it's out of left field and doesn't make any sense and it's, it doesn't feel like the appropriate time. When you get to heaven, 10,000 years is not going to be enough time to say how great he is. And we just, I mean, the picture I get from Revelation is we just over and over and over and over and over and over. All we do is sing about how great he is. Praise him. It might look weird. It might look upside down. But remember, the gospel is right. The world is upside down. Live the gospel. Be encouraged. Let's pray. God, I thank you for uh, the opportunity to teach your word. Uh, thank you for just the story of Mary. Uh, thank you for the truths that you brought to life today. Um, I thank you for just how honest you are with us, telling us, hey, we're all Judas. I ask that you would bring us all to a point where we can all be merry and that we would, we would just break down and lay at your feet and say, hey, we got nothing. We need you. Only you can fix what's broken inside of me. Only you can appoint value to me. Only you can be the one that glorifies you. Let me be a part of it. Do that work in us. Let us all be Lazaruses that we can tell the story of how you raised us to life over and over and over and over and over. And giving us the, just the self-awareness to know that it's not a one-time thing, but it's an everyday, every breath, every moment thing. I thank you for the times that you do that in our lives, and I ask that you would just make us aware of the times that, that we rebel against you and that we would just turn to you in prayer. Father, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for, for the symbolism of new life in baptism. We praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.